You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello and welcome to Security Unlocked, a new podcast from Microsoft where we unlock insights from the latest in news and research from across Microsoft's security engineering and operations teams. I'm Nick Fillingham. And I'm Natalia Gadilla. In each episode, we'll discuss the latest stories from Microsoft security, deep dive into the newest threat intel, research, and data science. And profile some of the fascinating people working on artificial intelligence in Microsoft security. And now, let's unlock the pod. Hello, Nick. Welcome to episode 24. How's it going with you today? Going well, thank you, Natalia. Yes, uh, welcome to you and welcome to listeners to episode 24 of Security Unlocked. On today's podcast, we speak with Shweta Jab and Gautam Reddy from the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint Engineering team about capabilities in MDE to scan down into the UEFI layer. Now, this is the third of three conversations we have that started back in episode 11 with Nazmus Saqib, where we talked about secure core PCs and, and firmware integrity. Then in episode 14, we spoke with Peter Waxman about the Pluton processor and some of the new work that's happening there to embed more security tech into sort of silicon onto the actual CPU die itself. And today we're sort of rounding that conversation out with Shweta and Gautam to talk about how Microsoft Defender for Endpoint can now scan down or can scan down into the UEFI layer. You're going to hear a bunch of jargon, a bunch of technical terms like, I guess, UEFI. That's, let's, we could start there. Yes. And UEFI is the Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. So it is the software interface that lies between an operating system and firmware and is an evolution of BIOS. And we'll also talk about Mosaic Regressor, which for those of you that don't know, is the second ever UEFI rootkit, which was discovered in 2020, but was used in an attack against NGOs in 2019. And and for me, the timeline is shocking, second ever in the past year. Normally, we hear about the continuous increase of a certain type of attack over the years, and here we're just at the second ever. Yeah, it's a really interesting part of the conversation where we talk about the history of BIOS attacks, firmware attacks, UEFI attacks, and to learn that this has been sort of traditionally a pretty challenging area for attackers to to breach and compromise. But, you know, Schweder and Gautam have been you know, very much ahead of the curve and and being ahead of, of attackers in, in being able to develop these new capabilities to from the operating system scan down to the UEFI layer and look for malware, look for compromise. And it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. Again, it's sort of a, a completion of three episodes, starting with episode 11 and 14. So if you haven't listened to those, recommend you add them to the queue. But I guess on with the pod. On with the pod. Welcome to the Security Unlocked podcast, Shweta Jar and Galtham Reddy. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We are super excited. I'm very excited too. Now, this is going to be the third conversation in a sort of a mini series that we're running here on the podcast. We started with Nazma Saqib, who introduced us to the idea of secure core PCs. And we talked about some of the challenges of firmware integrity and keeping firmware safe. Then we spoke with Peter Waxman in another episode to learn about Pluton, the history of, of that technology and sort of what's coming for the Pluton processor. And today, we're actually going to talk about some new capabilities or newish as of
of 2020 in Defender to scan down into the UEFI layer. Before we jump into all that, let's just do some introductions for the audience. Shweta, if we could start with you. Who are you? What is your role? What do you do day to day at Microsoft? Tell us, what would you like the audience to know about you? Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. My name is Shweta Jha. I am a program manager with Microsoft Defender for Endpoints. And I've been building security solutions, features, and products. And I'm super excited about it because security is the need today for our uh, customers. And few of the features that I built with my team were temper protection as part of anti-tampering, investment that we did, EDR block as part of behavior blocking and containment. And then we are going to talk a lot about UV scanner. So pretty much around building security solution and features in this team and helping our customers. Fantastic. And and Galtham, welcome to the podcast. If you could also introduce yourself, uh, tell us about your role. What does your day-to-day look like? Hi, this is Gautam Reddy. I'm an engineering manager in Microsoft Defender uh, Endpoint. So before engineering manager, so I was working as an engineer in the same team for last six years. So I worked on uh, many of the rootkit technologies the Defender uh, has and uh, remediation technologies to remediate many of the malwares that present on the system. I have been uh, working on this fantastic team, developing like durable protection features that were encountering the ever-changing malware fields. That's great. So again, welcome to both of you. Thanks for your time. One of the things we do on the uh, Security Unlocked podcast here is we we don't necessarily cover the latest announcements. We we sort of look back over the last sort of three to six months for interesting sort of technology, interesting advancements in in security technology, and we bring experts on to to talk about these new features and capabilities after they've sort of been in the wild. Today, we're talking about the UEFI scanning capabilities that are in Microsoft Defender. And there's a blog post that, that both of you helped author back in, in June of 2020, which feels like a decade ago, but I, I guess it's more like you know, six or seven months. So I wondered if one of you might be able to just walk us through what was that announcement made in that blog post? What was sort of the news? And then I think maybe if the other one or maybe just following, I'll, I'll leave it to you how we how we split this up. But what was announced back in June and sort of what's happened since then? How have those new capabilities sort of rolled out and what are we seeing with customers actually using them? So I, I guess I can get us started and then I'll hand it over to Gotham definitely to talk more on the technical details and the attacks that we see in the wild and that's why we kind of built this UFI scanner. So as you understand, this is a journey, right? We built a layered defense and depth security solutions. And when we build any security solution, we need to make sure that we take a holistic approach. So if you look at the operating level security solutions, we've been getting pretty great at operating level security solutions. And it's not only Microsoft. If you see other security providers as well, they have been doing great too. So what does that mean? It means that because the operating system level security solution is really great, it is making difficult for attackers to not get detected at that level. It's a constant battle. So they have been looking into other means where they can go into the system undetected. And that's where, if you look at the data, you would find that in recent past, 
the attacks across hardware and firmware level has been on the rise. So we built UFI scanner, keeping in mind that we should be able to detect those type of attacks because those type of attacks are not only very dangerous, but oftentimes they are not detected. They persist even if you reboot the system. So the nature of these type of attacks is very dangerous. And keeping that in mind, we decided to build UFI scanner. So I can add like why we did uh, build the UFI scanner. So because of the operating system security features that Microsoft is constantly working on, the bad guys are trying to going down and down in the layered architecture. So some of the threats after the x64 went on to the BIOS, tampering the BIOS and uh, tampering the MBR, the master boot record and uh, VBR based boot kits. So Defender has evolved into that space of canning the MBR and uh, detecting the boot kits in the boot time. So as a logical evolution, the bad guys have uh, from the stage of kernel to the MBR, MBR to the UFI. So we were anticipating that this kind of evolution is quite possible and the UFI implants were not uh, very far. So that's the time we found the first UFI wild implant called Lozax. So that was a triggering point when we completely committed to ourselves to expand our rootkit technology to detect any kind of rootkit's presence in the UFI. So that was our core idea of expanding our rootkit into the, the layer much below the operating system. So there were some challenges. If you don't mind me jumping in, I had a question around that. So mm-hmm. the way you're framing it is that when we started to notice the threat landscape move to this layer, we decided to invest in this type of technology. What about the technology itself? Had there always been this opportunity to tackle UFE scanning? Or is there something new that we're leveraging in order to solve this problem now that might not have been around beforehand? That's a good question. So there was always a chance to exploit the UFI, but it's about the timing of the attackers to get to target this space because uh, the rest of the platform and ecosystem is getting more and more secure. So the UFI is not new. So it was there uh, a decade ago, but the implants are new because of the advances in the operating system. So Galtam, tell us about the Lojax attack that happened was it the first or it was one of the first detected compromises of the UEFI firmware? Can you tell us some more about, about that if folks aren't familiar with it, like me? Mm-hmm. So there were some uh, theoretical uh, researcher-driven uh, POCs before uh, the Lozax, but Lozax is the first known exploitation instance where we know we found it in the wild. It is quite possible even before that uh, UFI implant demonstrated in many of the Black Hat conferences, but those were theoretical in nature. So the research had access to the device and they demonstrated it. But Lojax is the one where from operating system level, so a particular malware, I would say it as a rootkit, which had tried to intrude from kernel mode to the UFI and they have installed uh, UFI driver. So if we consider the operating system as a drivers, even the firmware itself had some drivers. So they were able to install a driver. 
which actually in turn drops the another kernel mode driver once operating system boots up. It's about the boot sequence. So first the firmware starts running and it initializes all the system and then it invokes the operating system. So in the Lojax case, after the firmware is completed, it has already dropped the kernel driver on the operating system if it is not present. So that means by the end of the firmware sequence, so we have a presence of a kernel driver. And when that kernel driver starts, there is a user mode malware starts, kicks in. So this keeps repeating even after you reinstall the OS, even if you change the hard disk, the same pattern will be followed. So that's how the Lozax threat worked. And I wonder, do we know what was the breakthrough that made Lojax possible? UEFI has been around for a while. UEFI probably predates Lojax. And obviously before UEFI, there was sort of the more standard sort of BIOS that probably most folks are familiar with. Could we talk a little bit more about how Lojax came about and sort of what maybe changed or what the breakthrough was on the attacker side? I would say that there were a couple of open source read-write drivers, which has a capability to access the firmware using a special interface called SPI. SPI is a, something called serial peripheral interface. So using the serial peripheral interface, any kernel mode driver can instruct the platform hardware layer to read and write any contents in the flash. So I think like many of the security industry notes, a driver called read-write-everything. They call it as RWE. So this is the driver using which anybody can read any offset, any device memory and write. I think this is the prevalence of uh, this kind of open source tools might be help attackers to uh, develop this kind of ecosystem of all the sequence of the malware, the rootkits. In addition to what Gotham said, definitely the work that researchers were doing in this space, it always starts with researcher trying to do something and then attackers trying to find other means. So here are the things. Attackers usually do exploit things that are not done in a right way. So in this case, for example, if there are certain configuration that you need to, OEM partner needs to make sure that those are in place. For example, read-write, where you are not providing writing access, just the reading access and so on. So typically in all these type of attacks, you would see that misconfigured devices are exploited the most. And that misconfiguration happens at the time when the devices are getting built. So that is another factor why these attacks are very successful, because they are on misconfigured devices. Because while building the devices, somebody must to configure it in the right way. And, and if you look at the journey, that's where you have a secure code PC, which is designed to be secured, making sure that the things that are needed to protect the computer against these type of attacks that are there out from the first day. So my question is about the application of this new technology. So I really appreciate you walking through that attacker workflow. So what type of signals is UFE scanning looking for? What is it using to enrich the context of the existing endpoint data? And that's a very good question. So basically, the level of details that UFI scanner can get is enormous. So this is the area where like the Defender has a content scanning. So uh, we have uh, extended our content scanning to every file that is present inside the firmware. 
So this helped the Defender research to write any kind of an content scanning signatures to detect any bad content. So that means in this case, if research knows any implant, so we have a capability to scan the 600 million devices to know if any of our customers have impacted with a specified malicious file. And this is just one part of our UFI scanner. And the other part of it is detecting any anomalous behavior inside the firmware. For example, in many of the supply chain attacks like SolariGate, it is quite possible that some of the OEM's channels were compromised and they deliver the firmware updates with the malicious modules in it. So in this case, our UFI scanner collects all the metadata about the new firmware update and we run heavy ML models in our cloud and that will tell us if there is an unknown anomaly that exists in this particular firmware update. Instead of a known malware implants, so the UFI scanner has two capabilities. One is detecting a known malicious implant, and the other one is anomalous firmware presence of a files. So in this case, we act both ways. What does an anomaly look like in this context? Anomalies look like, for example, if you have a firmware, is a firmware is a file system like a typical drive. A presence of a driver file, probably a HP driver file or an unsigned driver file on a Dell OEM is considered to be anomalous. Because we have trained the model of all the known Dell firmwares with a ML model. So any new image with an unexpected file, it will be immediately flagged. And why is ML the sort of approach you've taken here versus sort of heuristics? I would have thought that there's a pretty limited set of content that could make up sort of firmware and firmware instructions. Obviously, I don't know anything about this space, so I'll caveat that there. But um, could you talk about why ML versus heuristics versus something else? In the days of uh, BIOS, so your uh, expectation was a bit right. The BIOS consists of a series of micro codes, which is very limited. And uh, in the context of UFI, you have a full file system, uh, which has like thousands of files, individual files. And this causes, uh, creates uh, basically a huge amount of uh, the vector space, which to scan or to collect the metadata. So it's not just simple collection of micro, micro codes. It contains the drivers, it contains the services, it contains a lot of other things. It's a file system like NTFS. Got it. So because UEFI is, as you say, a file system as opposed to, what was BIOS? BIOS was not a file system. BIOS was a sort of a discrete, sort of low-level executable. Yeah, it, it is just a sequence of uh, microcode instructions that will be run on the firmware. So basically, it, it has a fixed set of microcodes. So the machine learning models that you referenced, where are they running? Are some of them running locally? Are they all running in the cloud? Is it a mixture of the two? They're all running in the cloud for now. So we have MDATP cloud services where we run all these cloud, uh, the ML models. So our models are really very effective. So recently we got an, uh, so, so you, the UFI alert by ML model. Apparently it's a kind of an true positive because uh, there was a Microsoft engineer who is working on a hardware space. So he take a whole firmware, firmware and he, kept a developer driver and he flashed on his own device. And uh, our UV scanner immediately caught it and we 
the security administrator got an alert and there was an investigation happened. So we are pretty ready to catch any kind of such things now. So we all know it's a cat and mouse game with the threat actors. So what is the team anticipating in terms of how the actors will adjust their processes to evade this new UFE scanning technology? That's a good question. We are trying to validate something in a a lower level of trust, the lower level of ring other than the kernel. So definitely there is a chance that attacker can modify the firmware presence. Uh, He can spoof the content when Defender tries to scan. So this is quite uh, possible, but we are already working on mitigating that kind of an attacks. So now that this feature, these capabilities have been live in the product for, I guess, over six months at this point, what have you learned? What have you seen in the telemetry? What have you seen in the types of attacks and I guess even sort of false positives that have have come through from from this new uh, capability? Uh, That's a very good question. So we learned a lot of things. The UFI file system is never scanned before. So we got some false positives on the content that we scanned, but we immediately fine-tuned our signatures. Back in six months before, when we published the blog, we only know the first UFI known implant called Lozax. But after we shipped, there was a second implant got public. That's called Mosaic Regressor. And our UFI scanner has well detected the Mosaic Regressor implant. Though the telemetry count was small, so we did uh, able to detect the Mosaic Regressor. So in these first six months, as well as the Lojax campaign? What's the taxonomy here? How do we refer to it? Uh, We can consider, we are tracking them as a UFI implant malware or UFI rootkits. So this is the category we are looking at. So right now we have a Lojax and we have a Mosaic regressor as a two big families in this space. Big families, got it. Yeah, about uh, Mosaic regressor, I wanted to add a little bit more just to complement what uh, Gautam mentioned, how powerful this tool is and how powerful this particular feature is. So if you read through the Mosaic regressor breach, it was a nationwide targeted attack. This was targeted for diplomats. And this attack, as Gautam described, first they would insert one module that one module would get undetected and then that module would try to do other stuff like try to get in touch with command and control and get another module and so on. So the entire kill chain is so very interesting and I'm glad that we built this feature and we were able to detect it because it's so powerful. Most of the security solution, they are not able to detect because they don't have this such great capabilities. But look at the way this attack was carried. It was pretty much targeted, pretty much nationwide for a few countries, originated from one country. So the sophistication level and the nature itself speaks for it. And I'm glad that we, as in our product, we have this capability which can even, you know, unknown, first seen, it can detect those type of attacks as well. In the process of developing this new technology, where were their false starts? What techniques did you try but didn't work to solve this problem? A little bit on the journey, right? We have been working on it. Um, so Gotham explained about how we have rootkit, bootkit level 
And then we went to the Eufy side and we had to be extremely careful because it's like, uh, it has a high integrity and high severity of going wrong. So we had to be very careful, making sure that the running system is not damaged. And at this point, I'll hand it over to Gotham because he can explain in detail each and every pieces that we took into consideration to making sure that our customer's device remain intact. So go ahead, Gautam. Yeah, thanks, Shweta. So uh, we have indeed explored uh, many mechanisms like accessing the PCI space from the operating system itself, which we didn't continue to proceed because of some of the pushback from the kernel team to update the hall. So actually, uh, to accessing any peripheral device from the PCI bus, there are a couple of complications because the peripherals have a specific implementation of reads and writes, the bus reads and writes. So uh, the approach we took was uh, using the SPI interface, which is pretty much kind of an uh, universal interface, which is developed by Motorola by a long time ago. So luckily what worked in our favor was most of the Intel chipsets, they support the SPI-based access. So they support the SPI using which we can use the memory map mechanisms to access the PCI space. So basically here what happened was instead of directly using the hardware primitives, we used the software primitives because the chipsets are well supporting the SPI interface. So that's how we landed in our approach. I wanted to circle back to the use of machine learning here in, in, in solving this problem. How big are the signal sets that you're getting to train a model? How big is the model? Is the model that you use here to detect anomalies in the firmware layer, is it as sophisticated and large as something as like looking from malware on endpoints, or are we talking like a much sort of smaller, more sort of nuanced, no, that's not the right word, sort of a smaller bespoke model? Uh, I can take that question. So usually uh, in the endpoint, when applying the malware um, machine learning models, we heavily focus on the individual file properties, like file headers, file footers, and some file P properties and so on. But UFI case, we built a brand new machine learning model based on the properties of the UFI image itself. So thanks to David from our MDATP team. So he came up with a model where which takes input signals as specific to the UFI firmware image. To give some examples, each firmware drive has a lot of GUIDs called firmware GUIDs. And then they have some properties called uh, file types and properties. Every property that we took were specific to the firmware. So they are not generic to the specific malware files that we see regular malware detections. So these are highly tailored to the signals from the UFI firmware image. And were you able to reuse some of the anomaly detection algorithms or approaches from other parts of the Defender engineering org? Or did you have to sort of build a brand new model and a brand new way to detect anomalies? Yeah, so we definitely used our existing infrastructure. So as you know, uh, we have a massive backend system where we get tons of signals and we run tons and tons of AI and ML model to detect the anomalies and to detect the new trends and so on. So as Gotham was talking, for this particular UFI AI and ML model, even though where we had to 
tweak it to make sure that we capture the inputs that are UV specific, the models were reused, the pipeline to collect the data that were reused, and the channel where we surface it to our customers. So if you look at the end-to-end story, the way we do things are we detect we remediate, and we also notify to our SecOps that, hey, these are the things that happen in your environment. And that goes in the form of alerts or incidents and so on. So we used exactly same infrastructure, same pipeline, but specific to UFI. So I know a little earlier in this episode, we talked about the learnings after being in market. What about the impact to SecOps teams? Do we have any early numbers to talk through about what this has raised for our customers? That's a great question. We do see here and there, though the number is not pretty high on the implant, but we do see numbers there. Like as Gautam mentioned about a mosaic regressor, we did find that. And there are a few others also. But I think the most important aspect of this unique feature is that just a little bit forget about this feature and see that today's world, today there is no UFI scanner, the security admins or SecOps, they, they don't know what is happening at this level. They have tons of devices in their organization. And these devices are at this level is completely black box for them because they don't know whether it is configured well. They don't know if there are implants there. They don't know if there are vulnerabilities that could be exploited. So that's the power of this UFI scanner. One is, you know, so we, we built the solution keeping in mind that we would not only detect, we would bring these these things where they don't have visibility today to understand what is going on. So the focus area and then the objective that we have is to detect the implants, either using the heuristic detection or the AI ML, but also read through each and every configuration that are happening at this level and the vulnerabilities that exist at this level and bring that to the sick ops attention so that when they look at it, they can take appropriate action to remediate it. So that's the next step. And that is the work right now we are currently doing. We do not have in the form of report. We do see it in our data and we want to make sure that these are available to our sick ops. But just to tell you, there are tons and tons of misconfigured device out there and it's uh, it's a little tricky. To add more about the misconfiguration, so it's about like the PC settings like uh, UFI, the BIOS read write, or uh, whatever the settings we used to see in when we go to the BIOS in the past. So the UFI must be configured well to support the secure boot, to use the TPM, and to use any of the hardware provided features. It must be configured well. If it is misconfigured, you won't get any protection. So if you have a helmet in your uh, back seat when you are driving, it won't help you. So you have to keep it on your head. <laughs> That's a great analogy. So I guess the that leads us to what is the guidance here for sec admins and security teams out there? How do they enable this functionality? Is it on by default in in certain places? What do we need to do to make sure that that customers are getting the full protection from this capability? 
So uh, this this feature is enabled by default on all the devices. Uh, we made sure that this is available. And the great news is that it is not only, you know, Windows 10, it is available for servers down level as well. So that's the power that we have in our solution. Ultimate way, if you look at what is the future that are going to look like, Secure Core PC is the future we should be heading towards. But because enterprises and customers are not there yet, uh, we have UV scanner to complement it. The other thing, if we have to talk about the futuristic roadmap, right now we built the scanner for UFI, but there are other network devices like network adapter and things like that. There is a scope to extend these types of capability to those devices as well, because those there is a possibility to get those devices exploited too. So that's something we are considering to work through. Got it. So just to confirm there, so this new capability is on by default in any device that is being protected by the Defender service? Is, is, it, is it as simple as that or is there sort of more to it? Yes, any device which is having Defender antivirus running. Thank you for that. That was super helpful. And thank you both for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Natalia. It was a pleasure to be here and talking with our customers. Thank you so much for hosting us. Thank you, Natalia and Nick, for hosting us. So it's been a wonderful time talking to you about UFI Scanner. Thank you so much. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for bringing great innovation to the security space. Absolutely. It's a constant journey and we are on it. Well, we had a great time unlocking insights into security from research to artificial intelligence. Keep an eye out for our next episode. And don't forget to tweet us at msftsecurity or email us at securityunlocked at microsoft.com with topics you'd like to hear on a future episode. Until then, stay safe. Stay secure. This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, we're talking scumbots with Paul Melson. Believe me, you're going to want to hear this. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.